Well, I'm preaching to the choir today, aren't I? Everyone's with me. Woo! <laughs> Feel like doing another song. You'll have to wait. Okay, why don't you take your seats and uh, we'll just pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that it encourages us and lifts us today and inspires us and that we see ourselves in the story in some small way. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Well, we're in, uh, we're in our series, Heroes and Villains. You sick of it yet? You shouldn't be. It's only like the third week, isn't it? Fourth week, fourth week, something like that. And we're in the New Testament now, looking at some New Testament Bible characters. And the whole point of this season has been to sort of uh, do a warts and all thing. You know, like sometimes we're tempted when we're preaching from Scripture, and particularly with Bible characters, to sort of sanitize them a bit, you know, to preach the good bits. I'm sorry. Well, that's what preachers think. Anyway, okay, so not you. Like, you're like, no, I look for the bad bits. That's where I spot, that's where I see myself in the story. But actually, that is the point, is that when we actually look at the whole scope of someone's life and the difficulties, the problems, sometimes the brokenness, um, we see grace in their journey. That's been the point of this whole series. And uh, what about Thomas last, not last week, week before last, was it, when I preached Thomas? But the last message in this series, Thomas, who enjoyed Thomas? Come on, I know you enjoyed him more than that. I got so much feedback from that message. Because in a, in a sense, we redeemed the doubter. Remember? It was all about, and it is all about, the redemptive nature of God expressed through Christ. And so often we've only told the tale. Thomas is one of those ones that we've sort of lampooned, we've, uh, we've painted into a difficult sort of a picture. Thomas the doubter. And really what we looked at was the whole arc of Thomas's life shows that Thomas was indeed a courageous saint that impacted his world. And you know, it resonated with us, didn't it? I'm asking, this is like a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. I know it re Yeah, that's it. Come back alive again. I can't lose you in an intro. Surely, surely. But, but it resonates with us because it resonates, I believe, with the whole arc of Scripture. The whole arc of the Bible is God's redemptive story. And what I've found through the years as a preacher, as a communicator... I can preach something that is actually factual, that can't be argued with from the Bible, and yet it has no life in it whatsoever. If I don't bring a redemptive aspect into it. And the moment a redemptive aspect in it, it resonates in our hearts because honestly, that's who we really know Jesus is. We all know that he has forgiven us. We all know that there is grace and mercy. We all know that God's kindness and goodness generally turns out even better than we could believe. If you follow him consistently long enough, God will continue to surprise you with his goodness. And so I think that's why Thomas resonated and so we're going to do another one today. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene. Someone else who's, you know, often been uh, painted in unusual ways, sometimes by the church. We're going to maybe correct uh, a myth or two and also look at Mary and her journey. And of course, we're going to look at heroes and villains, the, the awesome side of, of people and the darker side of people. Of course, with Mary, you've got to start where she started. And it's interesting how a couple of different uh, gospel writers 
say almost the same thing about Mary in a couple of places in Scripture. And I want to read one from Dr. Luke. And he says this in chapter 8. Now it came to pass afterward, and this is talking about Jesus. He's basically on the road with his team, okay? On the road with the disciples. Afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And certain women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. We're going to talk about demons today in church. That should be fun, hey? You ready for that? Enjoying that? I'm not because I just lost my screen. It's back. I don't know what I'm going to do when iPads run out of brightness because I'm on max brightness now. I'll probably be wearing glasses at that point. I'm not sure. Here we go. So there's the first one. Mary's mentioned as having seven demons, having had seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, there's a whole story in that one, and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. So here's Jesus on tour with his list of supporters. Everyone's with him. Mary's a part of it. And Mary's handle seems to be the one whom Jesus cast seven demons out of. Now, I don't know what it would look like to have seven demons. I'm pretty sure I've met a few people that had a few, though. At some time. Actually, in all truth, I think in my pastoral and missionary journeys, particularly, I think I have encountered what, what the Bible might call, what sometimes is poorly translated in our English Bibles as possession. Because the Greek word demon at zomai actually means to be attacked. It doesn't necessarily mean to be indwelt. It means to be attacked or under the power, oppressed by. That's literally what it means. And I am sure that I have met some people that seem to have some demons. Who here's got a cat? No, I should put it this way. <laughs> Who here's wife has a cat and you're convinced it has a demon? My wife doesn't have a cat, just by the way. But I'm, I don't know, I went to pick mulberries at my daughter's house. What is it that cats know? They know, people who don't like them, they know. So I'm picking mulberries while he's going in between my legs and purring and... It's disgusting. Anyway, let's get away from that. I've just lost every cat lover in the room. And on the internet. So where on earth was I? I don't know what seven demons looks like. Put it this way. It was a messy life. And you might say, oh, should we read that literally, Chris? Are you talking like literally? Should we read the Bible like she had demons? And I'm like, I think we should read the Bible literally. But I do think we should qualify what literal means. Because if you're saying literally is to take what ancient writers wrote in their context, with their worldview, in a different language, through our 2021 filters, and go, I see it, and that's exactly what it says, I'm not sure I'm with you. If you say literally means, let's get into the mind of the original author, the audience they were speaking to, and keep this thing in the context of its original writing, then I say, yes, we should read the Bible literally. Literally. And here's the interesting thing that we see in this story. Wherever we see numbers in Scripture, you should be interested in numbers. It's interesting that she's got seven demons. Because if you know anything about b biblical numerics, you know that seven's a pretty important number. Seven days for creation. 
And right from that seedbed in Genesis, most theologians have come to understand that the number seven tends to represent completeness or to finish. So on the seventh day, God rested from his labours. Why? Because he was finished. It was done. It was complete in that sense. Uh, If you look at, say, the number 70, you've got seven times ten. Okay, So ten is often seen as the fulfilment of law. So we have ten commandments, a fulfilment of law. Um, And so when we have things like 70 in Scripture, seven times ten, you've got things like a season of trouble or a season of judgment. Uh, Daniel's 70 weeks in his prophecy and all the trouble that was going to come on Israel, etc. So when... When we look at scripture like this and we go, seven demons, our mind tends to do this. 2021 mind, we count them like sheep. <laughs> one, two, I've even seen guys try and preach it. She had a demon of this and a demon of that. And a demon. It's like one, two. And by being so stilted with our literalism, we can miss what the author is saying. What do you, I don't know how many demons she had, to tell you the truth. What I know this is what Luke is saying is she was completely under the power of the devil. You don't need to name the demons. The statement he's making is she was completely oppressed. She was completely not free. There was not one area in her life, there was not one thing about her that was not free from the oppression of darkness. That's what Luke is saying. And he's saying, and Jesus ended it. Jesus ended it ended that you you, you know biblical numeric says things like um you know where jesus said seven times 70 you shall forgive your brother what's that western mind do ah seven times seven 49 add the zero you mean 490 times well that's a lot of times and sometimes we can arrive where the author wants us to arrive we sort of go oh golly who's keeping count jesus said forgive You know, if you get that, you got his message. But actually, if you actually look what it's saying, it's saying seven is the number of completion, 10 is the number of law. So seven times 10 is 70. 70 times seven is you will cease this season of judgment completely. That's what he's saying. An end to a season of judgment. 70 times seven. It is completely done You don't need to hold anything against anyone ever again. Forgive them completely, totally, and always. And sometimes in our mind, we're still going, oh, I've only forgiven them 350 times. I'll have to do it again. No, no, you're missing the point. And here with Mary Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, is just a picture that the author, the original readers of this scripture would not have been trying to count 70 or seven, seven times whatever or which demons. They, they wouldn't have been thinking that way. They would have been going, wow, she was completely bound. And now she's a disciple. 
What the story is saying in that short phrase is saying someone who it doesn't matter how oppressed, it doesn't matter how broken, it doesn't matter how much control darkness might have over your life, when you meet Jesus Christ, that can come to an end. And not only do you go back to neutral, but you go to a place of actually worshipping and serving and giving your life away. You go from darkness to light, baby. That is a redemption story. That's a redemption story. So now we've looked at the villainous side of Mary Magdalene. Let's have another quick look at her life. So, of course, um, uh, and I'm going to try and dispel a couple of sort of rumours, maybe. Uh, Let's see, have I finished Mary and the Demons? Yeah, I think I have. Mary the Hero. Verses 2 and 3 of that same passage, it says, and I'll just reread it. Certain women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for him from their substance. It's, it's really interesting, but often Mary has been tied into a life of prostitution. And, uh, and I must admit, I have made that mistake in just sort of adding the Marys up and figuring that this Mary fits with this picture and in my studies, what I discovered was that this is a concept that didn't come in until the 6th century by Pope Gregory, where he tied Mary Magdalene to the woman who came and washed Jesus' feet with, his te- with her tears and wiped them with her hair. But when you actually look at the Gospels side by side, there is nothing to say that they're the same person whatsoever. It was just good preaching. But today I'm telling you the truth. And sometimes there's a difference. And boy, for some of us who listen to internet preachers, I wish we'd get that. That sometimes there's a difference between preaching and truth. And so we've got Mary providing for Jesus. Now, nowadays, prostitution, I don't know, maybe there's a lot of money in it. But in Mary's day, there wasn't. You had nothing. You were selling your body because you didn't have an option. It wasn't because you wanted a Ferrari, it was because you wanted to eat. And that sort of speaks to the fact that Mary was actually a woman of substance, which sort of also speaks to the fact that you don't need to have a really bad lifestyle to get really broken. (laughs) There's a lot of lessons in Mary that sometimes we skip over because we just assume what she might have been. Actually, she was a woman of substance and with other women of substance. This is a really funny passage because she's put in there with uh, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward. And Chuza was the head of Harold, uh, uh, Herod's uh, running his house and organising the thing. He was the puppet king put in place by the Romans. So here's a nice, interesting tidbit. <laughs> she's obviously providing from her household Her master serves Herod, who hated Jesus, and served the Romans. And so the Romans, by paying Herod and his wife by providing for Jesus, were actually helping provide for Jesus' ministry. (laughs) Isn't that cool? I love it. So she's generous. And she's along the road. She's been set free. She's come from terrible darkness to brilliant light. And her life is displaying the fruit of it as she generously supports his ministry. 
And then we see her at the foot of the cross. John chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So there weren't many that hung around once the proverbial poo hit the fan. There weren't many to stick around to see what was going to happen next or who was going to be killed next. But Mary Magdalene was one of them. As far as we know, the only boy who hung around was John. And he puts himself there. But he's the only one that we know of. And interestingly, one gospel writer says that they looked on from afar and another says they were literally at the foot of the cross. Remember Jesus said to John, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. And so Mary was right, and that was, you know, obviously Jesus' mother, Mary, but Mary Magdalene was right there, right at the most probably dangerous point of history when it comes to having faith in Jesus Christ. And we see Mary there. She's a bit of a hero, eh? She'd be from total darkness to blinding light. And then lastly, of course, she's at the tomb, which is an interesting story in itself. So here's John again in John 20, and read verse 11, then verse 14 and 16, and then I'll eventually read verse 18. But it says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. He's in his resurrected form. So don't ask me how it works, but in the several places in Scripture, this is the way it works. People didn't recognise him. Um, and she did not know it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she's supposing him to be the gardener? Now that tells you something, doesn't it? That tells you something about how Jesus dressed. Does it What? Like, just look around and see Jesus in resurrected form, but actually just go, it's just the gardener. <laughs> there wasn't some big glow happening or something, like you would think. But it's interesting how God meets us right where we think he'll be, in a different form, often. Um, or right where we are, and he meets us in a form we don't recognise. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. That's an Aramaic word, Rabboni. It's an Aramaic word. It means teacher, but it also means master and prince. It can actually be translated as teacher, master, prince. And to me, when I read that, every time I read it, You've got to read that with the sense of the emotion that was there. Mary's in grief. She's at the tomb. What have they done with him? What has happened in these last couple of days? My world is turned upside down. She looks over her shoulder. It's just the gardener. He can't help. And then Jesus, and she must have known the voice, hey? Mary. And straight away, boom, her world turned up back round the right way. Yeah. Straight away. And you sense the emotion. To me, I read that and you sense the worship. You know, if you just leave it at teacher, you can miss that. But actually just doing that little word study, it's like, wow, they could have rendered this a different way. It's rendered 15, 16 times different ways through scripture. They could have said prince. 
my prince, my master. And it just bleeds worship. It bleeds devotion. It just bleeds, you're the one that took me from absolute, complete darkness and you've brought me into your light. And then I thought that light was gone, was buried, and now the sun has risen again, as Scripture says, with healing in his wings. And Mary's hopes come alive. Man, what's he done in you? And I wonder whether some of us don't just need that fresh to hear his voice. It changes everything. And we can pray about stuff and we will. And it's powerful to pray as a collective and believe for things. But there is nothing that takes the place of you hear him, hearing him call your name afresh. She'd heard him use her name, I don't know how many times. She'd been on the road with him for three years, probably. She'd heard him call her name so many times. But I tell you, on that day, the clouds rolled away in an instant. And I just wonder whether some of us don't need to hear him say our name just one more time. You know, a little aside to it, and I probably shouldn't even go there. I don't want to break the moment. But verse 18, it says, Mary ran from there and she went and told the apostles, which is incredible because most of us would be familiar with the fact that a woman's testimony meant nothing. It meant nothing in court uh, in these days. And it sort of adds to the miraculous concept of the whole story that God would choose people who couldn't be a witness to be the first witnesses. Don't you love how God does it? God just loves, he loves to turn this world's machinations and thinking on its head every time. And she runs and tells the disciples. And interesting, the early church actually had a term for Mary. She was considered to be the apostle to the apostles. Apostle means sent one, sent one to bring news. That's all it means. But because she was the one who broke news of the resurrection, she was called the apostle to the apostles, the one sent to them to give them the good news. Wow. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It does, you know, when I say it doesn't matter, I'm not saying... It's, it's not important in the sense that you're hurting. Can I rephrase it to, no matter how broken your life gets, it does not disqualify you from the goodness and the grace of God. It does not take you out of the realm of his ability to, to work a redemptive work, basically buying back your life, buying back your freedom, bringing you back to the place you were always meant to be. No matter how broken you get, it does not disqualify you. Mary started off maybe a bit of a villain. I wouldn't have liked to live next door to her when she was throwing a party. Ends up a hero Supporting Christ, totally devoted. And I just wonder in these closing moments, I thought, I'd just love to have a moment of worship together in the simplest of ways. I'm not going to get us to stand or anything. Thanks, Dave, if you just help me. And I'm not going to do some sort of a sing-song for you today. What I want to do, I, want, I, I just think it'd be awesome 
So I think there's a moment here, isn't there? I feel like the Holy Spirit is just touching hearts everywhere, which is what I prayed for this morning. I just think we should worship Jesus right where we sit. You don't need to even lift your voice. If you're comfortable to lift your voice, it'd be great because the people around you will be blessed by it in the simplest of ways. And, uh, but if, if, if not, that's okay. Just close your eyes and meditate and think about what Jesus means to you and give him a moment where you could actually hear him call your name afresh. You cool? I'm going to teach us an old couple of songs. I won't be teaching everyone. But I figure the young people are always teaching us new stuff. So why don't a few of us teach them some old stuff? There is none like you. Come on, if you can sing it. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Come on, sing it. There is none like you, Jesus. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Another one. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoices, take joy. voice this morning. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let me be a sweet, sweet sound, and let me be a sweet, sweet sound.
just want to ask us a couple of questions as we finish. And uh, I just don't think we can overlook the power of taking moments out to hear God's voice. To hear him say your name, Louisa. To hear him say your name, Dave. You know, just to hear Jesus again. Here's some questions. And I, I think Mary, I don't know whether you can do it, but if you can hear this in Mary's voice, maybe I should get one of the ladies to come. Read. I won't get too complex. Here we go. But what if Mary asks this? Would you be free from what's oppressing you? I think Mary would ask that. Would you be free? Is that what you want? No, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? To a blind man. Which means actually we have the option to express our desire. What do we really want God to do? And I think Mary would say, hey, do you want to be free? Do you want to come out of darkness into brilliant light that will transform your heart? You might say, well, hang on a sec, I don't have a demon. <laughs> okay, I'll ask it another way. Would you be free from what's driving you? Because we've got lots of modern demons, eh? Would you be free from being consumed by the need for wealth? Would you be free from pride? Would you be free from entitlement? I mean, it's a big, ugly list that could go on and on and on. There's lots of demons that are affecting our society, oppressing people and keeping them trapped in total darkness. But Mary would say, hey, if you want to be free of that, I know someone who can do it. Second question is, does your dedication to the Saviour overflow in generosity towards his mission? Whatever that looks like. And that could look like literally giving to missions. That could literally look like talking to your neighbour, taking time out. Have a conversation where the love of God just, you might have the opportunity to share the love of God. Will you trust him and stick with him on the darkest day when his presence seems hidden for you, from you? I think Mary could ask us that question because, hey, she was at the tomb. She'd gone to serve. She'd gone to anoint him with oil. She was still serving him when she thought he was dead. <laughs> and on a darkest day, it became the brightest dawn. And I think Mary would ask us, hey, look, no matter what you're going through, are you still faithful to follow the master's footsteps? Because you'd be surprised at just where you meet him and the form he takes when you're determined to keep following Jesus. And the last question maybe is, will you bear witness to the power of the resurrection which is at work in you? If indeed you've experienced that. If indeed, you know, at the beginning of this service, I'm like, hey, come on, who's experienced Jesus and his goodness and grace? And, you know, being lights in the world, that we bear witness. We bear witness. Our lives are different because we met Jesus. Once I might have been, but now I'm here. Mary, once I was extreme left-field darkness, and now I'm here. The testimony of a life speaks to us today. What are our lives saying to those around us in our world? Let's determine to shine for Jesus, eh?
Can I pray for us this morning? Why don't we stand together? And Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, your reality in this place. And I pray, Father, I just pray for, for those of us who right now this might be a pertinent message concerning darkness, concerning wanting to be free. I pray. I pray that as we open our hearts to you, we will find you as a delivering saviour who can bring us from darkness to light. Lord, for those of us who have struggled on dark days and our faith has really been shaken and we've maybe questioned what this is all about, I just pray, Father, for the courage and the strength to push through that to Resurrection Sunday. And I pray for all of us, Father, that we would shine as lights simply because of how good you've been to us. We're not pushing religious agendas. We're sharing what Jesus has done in our heart. And help us to do that, Father, wherever we are, in the, in the schoolyard, on the factory floor, in education systems, in office blocks and government buildings and workshops right across our city. In our homes and our streets, help us be that. In our clubs and associations, whatever we do, whatever we get up to, help us reflect. Man, I was once under the power of darkness and now I'm free. In Jesus' name. And friend, if you're here with us today and you've never taken that step, that maybe initial step toward Jesus, you can do it right where you are, whether you're sitting at home right now or where you're here in the, whether you're here in the building with us. But you can just open your heart in the simplest of ways, just in an authentic, genuine way. Open your heart up and say, Jesus, I want you. It's you that I need. It's you I recognise. I need you to bring light to my life and you can dedicate your heart to him in the simplest of ways and if you're authentic he'll be authentic he'll meet you right where you're at amen I'm going to ask Mike to come